Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. My guest today is Chris Plackey. Chris is the CEO and founder of Leadership Coach, where she helps leaders solve employee problems. She's a 20-year veteran of leading and managing high-performing teams. Chris has a bachelor's degree from San Diego State, a master's in organizational management, and is a certified master coach. She's also the author of Change Your Think, An Unexpected Way to Think About Managing People, Five Truths for Thinking About Difficult People, and How to Coach Difficult People in Six Steps. Chris and I talk about that often uncomfortable situation of how to deal with difficult people and those disruptive behaviors. For many of us, this is one of the hardest parts of being a manager, and Chris lays out approaches that we can all apply. So here's my interview with Chris. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. So Chris, I am really excited to talk with you today because... I listen to your podcast, How to Lead, so I feel like I'm constantly learning from you, and I'm really excited for my listeners to now get to learn directly from you today. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So we're going to talk about some difficult people, because this is something I get asked about a lot, and (laughs) difficult people are just, they're a challenge, but there are so many ways that people can be difficult. So what, in your experience, makes people difficult? Or what are some of those common difficult behaviors that people deal with? Well, let's see. So what I will tell you is I do this as a workshop also, right? I do a a how to uh, coach and manage difficult employees. And I'll start by just asking people to tell me why people are difficult and, you know, using characteristics or behaviors. And so I can fill up like two pages of a flip chart, right? And, you know, the words can stem anything from victim, negative, complaining, blaming, arrogant, uh, know-it-all. So you're exactly right, because sometimes someone is arrogant and they're difficult, and then someone else will say, yeah, but they're really passive, and that makes them difficult. So what are the most common, the typical, the most common are the ones that I think we would all sort of tend to agree with, which are those sort of socially awkwardy things like you think you just did that in public kind of behaviors like people being really negative contrarian uh, passive aggressive unhelpful or uncollaborative rigid stubborn i would say those are probably the ones that are the most common the one i hear a lot also lately is entitled and unfortunately that tends to be tagged to, uh, as I'm looking at you, uh, the millennial generation, right? Which, which is ironic because, of course, younger folks also think a lot of older folks are entitled. So we have to really dissect that word, but I hear it a lot. I just think it's misused. But those are some of the most common ones, I think. You know, it's interesting when you were describing these different characteristics, some of them were behaviors and some of them are like people. She's entitled is like, or she, had, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, it seems to me like there's these two sides of it, that there's kind of how we see that person. And then there's the behavior that person exhibits. Do you find that's right. a useful way to think about this? Yeah, that's how I help clients pull it apart is that, you know, she is a human 
And then she's demonstrating behavior and then you're assigning it a label. What you consider to be arrogant or entitled would be different than what I consider to be arrogant or entitled. And so the first step is really to pull apart, like what did that person actually do that is in now in your brain assigning this label to it? Because it's the label that you assign the behavior that actually changes how you interact with them. It's not their actual behavior. So that is the first step is really pulling apart the difference between what people do in the world and what you label it. Okay. Now what's step two? Well, step two is deciding that you can approach and recognize that you can actually give people feedback based on their behavior, like what they actually do in the world without ever labeling it. Right. So what might somebody do that would make you think that they are rude? as an example, like what does somebody do that makes you think they're rude? What do they do in the world? Right. So like when somebody interrupts you in a meeting, we can use that as an example. Okay. So they interrupted you and maybe they like cross their arms, right? They kind of throw their pen down on the table and they cross their arms and they interrupt you and their hand flies around, right? I'm imagining Mm -hmm. that happening in a meeting. So one of two things is going to happen. A manager is going to go up to that person and say, you were really rude in that meeting today right? Mamie was trying to speak and you blah, 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 right? Or I can say, hey, I noticed that you threw your pen, you crossed your arms and you interrupted Mamie four times today in the meeting. What's going on? And then what I do when I say it that way is I allow them to label their own behavior. I don't need to label it as rude because it's very likely they didn't wake up this morning and think, oh, I can't wait to be rude in the meeting today, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. They have other reasons for their behavior we are assigning the label of being rude. And as soon as I say to someone you're being rude, they're going to get defensive. But if instead, if I just say, hey, I noticed that you did this, you interrupted, you threw your pen, you rolled your eyes. Now I can let them identify their own behavior and see it. And then they can label it. They can tell me why they did what they did. I just need to let them know that the behavior was ineffective or caused problems. I don't need to label it. I love this for so many reasons. One of them is that we don't like things we pointed out about us. We are much better at accepting something when we identify ourselves. I feel like that's what half of coaching is. It's just helping the person see themselves rather than, uh, you know, telling them what they're, what we're seeing. We let them see for themselves. And so you're basically coaching someone in that way. And secondly, sometimes, and I've seen this happen where, I have totally misinterpreted someone's behavior where I Mm -hmm. was having a conversation with somebody and I thought they were totally checked out and because they weren't Mm -hmm. asking any questions and they weren't responding. And when I kind of checked in with them, their response was, I'm processing, I'm thinking. Like you were saying so many Mm -hmm. interesting things. I'm trying to pull my thoughts together. And it was not at all that they were Mm -hmm. checked out. And if I had said to them, Hey, you're you're being so rude right now in the way that you're not engaging and I just feel like you're right. totally checked out on me and like if I had brought my lens to it, I feel like I could have set up a situation to be like really defensive. Like that's labeling as you're saying. Yeah. If we misinterpret, we can really set ourselves up to fail in that conversation. For sure. And then you're the difficult one. Mm. <laughs> right? Like you're telling somebody else how difficult they are. And then you're difficult because you're making an assumption. And here's the thing I think it's really important for your listeners, right? It doesn't mean that there aren't things that people do that at work that are unacceptable. There are behaviors that people demonstrate at work that need to be addressed, but I don't need to address them through my opinion. I address them through what I observe. 
which is very different. So why is it so hard for us then to confront these behaviors? I mean, I, I get questions about this all the time. Mm. What do I do about this person? How do I, why is it so hard for us to, to just confront someone about a behavior that's not appropriate? Well, the first reason is because we have, I think most of us, although I think we've all worked with somebody who isn't this person, but most people have sort of this wiring that they don't want to hurt people's feelings. And we have this real belief system that behaviors that people demonstrate are very personal, right? So as soon as I start, it's easy for me to give you feedback on something really objective, but if it starts to be about your personal behaviors, then that's that feels very personal. And then I'm already anticipating that you're going to react and take it personally, get hurt, be offended, be upset, be angry. And so in anticipation of that, I've already kind of created a little bit of a barrier for how I'm going to communicate with you because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want you to think I'm a jerk. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we really aren't taught how to address evidence and facts. You know, if you go out into the world today and you just go have conversations with people, you'll notice that we're all really just talking about our opinions and our thoughts all day. We rarely are just talking only about evidence and what we actually observe. We, we are assigning meaning to everything. And so I watch your behavior. I label you as difficult. As soon as I think you're dif difficult, it has now changed me, not you, right? Now I'm a different person because I think you're difficult. It changes my relationship that I have with you, even in my own brain. And so if I think that you're difficult, I'm going to anticipate the relationship to be difficult. Whereas if I'm just focusing on what I see in you, the behaviors that you demonstrated, it's so much easier for me to address those. And the third reason is we just haven't been taught how. Like, did you take a how to give difficult feedback class in, you know, elementary school <laughs> or I high school? I did. Right? I really just, wish I did. <laughs> I think we should all. We're not taught how to communicate and disagree and give feedback in a way that's constructive, right? Most of us just learn how to do whatever we do through our family of origin, which is why then when you get to work, you have some people who lose their temper and are really aggressive and loud. And you have other people who shrink up and don't speak. And that's because of how they behaved in their family, honestly. And then you put all these people at work and you wonder why we struggle to communicate. So it's one of the most important things any business leader can do is to create a language and a platform for their staff and their managers and everybody within the organization to communicate and share back feedback. I love what you were saying about facts and opinions. And mm -hmm. it's actually a model that I use with my clients too when, when they're facing something is to separate out because our emotions get involved too, right? It's facts, opinions, and then mm -hmm. our emotions is what I think you were saying about we, it changes us. So now we're looking yep. through a lens and, you know, I, I work with people to say, okay, so what are the, the actions somebody took? What are the behaviors? What are the facts on the ground? And then how did mm -hmm. that make you feel? Right. And then. Mm -hmm. What was the impact of those things? And I think mm -hmm. we often forget that these disruptive behaviors, these difficult and bad behaviors don't just impact us, but they impact the whole team. And so when we're mm -hmm. looking at the spectrum of kind of what happened, what are the behaviors, what are the facts, what are our opinions, how did we interpret that, how did it make us feel, and then what's the impact? For me, that helps 
illuminate how to have the conversation, both because now I can talk about the impact that's not just on me, but the impact that's on the entire team. I don't know mm-hmm. if that resonates for you. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's the model that I teach is, you know, things happen in the world. We observe, you know, somebody does something. I define it in my mind with a thought, with a sentence. The way that I define your behavior will trigger how I feel. And the way that I feel will trigger my behavior, which will trigger then the results I get in the relationship. And to your point, that's happening. So if you have a team of eight people and one person in a meeting, you know, loses temper and, you know, throws a shoe, which I've heard of happening, all eight people in that meeting are defining that experience differently. And some people are thinking, well, that was stupid, right? They just blow it off. Someone else is literally thinking their life is in danger. Someone else thinks they're dismissive and rude, right? Like, so we all define people's behavior differently and helping your client in this case understand that why they did what they did is not the same reason why other people will think about it. And so if I'm coaching the difficult leader, it's about awareness that their behavior is being perceived differently through the lens of everybody that works with them. And if I'm coaching the leader who's working with that employee and has to give feedback, it's that leader has to recognize that their opinion of their behavior is not what matters. It's the impact of the behavior on the team and the organization. So absolutely, I agree with everything that you said. And it's the simplest way to an answer. And then the work, right, for the client is just the practice of having the conversation and doing so with confidence and, and just getting used to, used to giving that kind of feedback. Because once you're used to it, it really gets a lot simpler to do, which is the good news. So it's the like- first few that are a little tough. Yeah. It's like building a a skill and a capability and a confidence around it. So are are there some kind of either tips or tricks to prepare or approaches to really prepare for that conversation if you're finding it to be challenging or or kind of a fearful or a new thing for you? Or are there frames for how to approach it or kinds of language that work well or don't work well? So first, I do have a structure I always recommend, which is a lot of uh, very similar to what you just said, right? So the first thing is you identify the facts, what actually happened. Then you identify the impact of the facts. What Because this happened, here's what the impact was on the team, the individual, the organization, right? And then you always have to let your employee have an opinion of their behavior. You, you, you just let them, you have to let them say whatever they're going to say. And most people, unfortunately, will just blame their behavior on a circumstance or somebody else, right? And if we can just expect that that's going to happen, then we don't have to worry about it. Because if I'm anchoring my feedback in facts, it doesn't really matter what the employee says about why they did what they did. But what does matter is that they have an opportunity to express themselves. So we sort of let them tell us their story about why they threw their shoe or why they haven't gotten the project done or why they don't respond to so-and-so's emails, you know, whatever their story is. And then we reset the expectation. Well, the expectation is that you will respond within 24 hours. The expectation is that you will stop interrupting in meetings. The expectation is that you will complete your projects on time. And then you tell them what will happen if they don't change their behavior. What's the consequence? What are the repercussions if things don't change? And then if you're far enough along in the conversation, you might document it, right? And you always want to follow through and follow up and check in on how people are doing. When we're addressing difficult behaviors, these conversations should be very, very short. And they're really not, there's time for coaching and there's time for addressing the behavior. 
So we have to be careful that we know exactly what we're doing. If it's the first time it's happened and you just want to check in with them and say, hey, I noticed this happened today. What's going on with you? Then that's more of a coaching conversation and, and helping them sort of get awareness. If this has been going on for a while and you're really addressing it, the performance management conversation, that, that conversation shouldn't be very long. It should be very clear and to the point and very structured. It sounds like you should treat things really differently when there's, it's, it's something new that someone's done or it's like an occasional thing that happens versus it's kind of like a chronic problem that keeps coming up yes. over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, every now and then people do things and you're like, what the heck was that? Right. Or you might start noticing like a pattern, like, oh, that's so interesting. They keep doing that whenever this topic comes up or whenever so-and-so's in the room or, you know, you just start paying attention. And, and so those are coaching moments to sort of creating opportunities for awareness and then seeing what do they do with the feedback? Do they make some changes or not? But if it's chronic and if it's ongoing, you know, behavior is equally important to performance as productivity, I believe. And I've always managed my teams that way. I don't want a top performer who's a total tool to work with. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> interested. So productivity and behaviors matter. And so if somebody is, even if they produce, but they're a jerk, right, to the people on the team, I think that's equally important to address. But you have to be able to do so from a factual evidence-based perspective. Yeah. Well, now I'm imagining for somebody who maybe has a colleague or a team member that's kind of being challenging for many years or many months, and they've never mm -hmm. said anything before, and they've never stepped in and done anything. And now they're listening to this podcast and they're saying, okay, I realize I really should go and say something to this person about their behavior. And they're, I would imagine they might be worried, like, oh, I haven't said anything before. Like, what, why now? Mm -hmm. Or what is my team thinking of me that they've, they've seen me let this happen for so long? And are they going to take me seriously now that I'm going to try and, and stop this? Any thoughts or advice for kind of interrupting something that where you've never said anything before? You know, it's so great that you bring that up. I, first, I would say you're not alone. In fact, you know, I work mostly with founders and business owners, and this is one of the, one of the big issues they bring to me when they hire me is, I've let this go. I've got this guy or this gal who's been on my team. They started with me. You know, they've been here forever, but they are not either performing or they are a problem behaviorally for the organization. And I don't know what to do about it. The good news is we can address it. The maybe not best news is you've got to do a little work, right? To be ready to do that, which means you have to get out of your own head and out of the opinion and the story that you've built about this person. Because if we meet at that point, right, where you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this person's been such a challenge for so many years, you've got a lot of layered thinking in there about this person that could compromise how effective you are in your feedback. So we need to separate all of that. And then we just need to really look at what is this person doing every day, literally, that we would all be able to observe? And how is that affecting the organization? How is that impacting the team? And let's get that really, really clear. And then we'll plan for how you're going to conduct that conversation. And, you know, I, I like to ask my clients too, like, is this a deal breaker? Is this behavior a deal breaker or not? Is this behavior going to be the kind of behavior that gets this person not to work for you anymore? How severe are we talking about? Is this just some coaching and you hope they'll change? Or no, if this is a problem and if they don't change, they can't be here anymore. And that's going to also direct how formally we go through this process with this person. 
as well. So let's talk about accountability, both on the difficult behavior of people who aren't being accountable and also the accountability to change. Because, you know, when you're asking someone to change their behavior and saying, here's Mm -hmm. the consequences, right? This is my new expectation for you. I'm now being very clear about what this new expectation is and how I expect you to behave. And now, you know, here's the consequence of that. If you don't change, maybe you're, you're probably not starting out with, you know, and this, your job is on the line, right? It's probably something much lesser. It might eventually get to that point. But how do you hold people accountable to making those behavior changes, especially if they are maybe more attitudinal and, you know, can be things that are a little bit more habitual in us that might be challenging. So let's talk about that kind of accountability and then also the difficult behavior of accountability around not turning work in on time or not responding to things, that kind of accountability too, if, if that makes sense to put them together. Yeah. I mean, accountability is accountability. And it, it, you know, I think the real issue is a lot of us think they're very different. We think behavior, holding people accountable for behavior change is different than holding people accountable to work performance or productivity, but it's really the same. What is required in order to have a, an accountability culture and practice is just a few basic things. You have to have set clear expectations for what behavior should look like in your organization. And these don't need to be complicated. The three to five things, right? Three to five elements that are really value-based. Typically, you know, they can sound anything like we expect our employees to be honest, solutions-oriented, focused on results and performance, contributing to the team. These are very vague, but right, the expectations are behavior-led. And if I haven't set expectations for what I expect of people from a behavior perspective, it's very hard for me to hold anybody accountable because I've never set the expectation. And the expectations should apply to everybody. There shouldn't be different behavior expectations for different people. I'm looking for the same expectations in terms of perform and, and behavior from everybody. So that has to be in place. If we're talking about work performance, there have to be key performance indicators, key performance measures, whatever your language is to know how well people are performing within their role and have something that rubs up against that. And then there has to be a consistent practice of feedback. It doesn't matter to me if you do that quarterly, monthly, or once a week, but you have got to have a dedicated structure and practice of where you meet with people who report to you directly and you give them feedback on how well they're doing. So if we're talking about changing behavior and I meet with you today to talk about the fact that you tend to be negative, you focus on the problems, you don't focus on solutions. And here are my examples of when you've done that over the past month. When I meet with you next week, I'm going to give you feedback on how well you have done against that feedback. Are you presenting more solutions? Are you not dismissing ideas as soon as they come up in a meeting, right? It requires work from me, and which is of course where a lot of my founder and business owner clients say, I don't have time, Chris Blackie. When am I going to make time for that? But if we really want to create the kind of culture that we want to have, the performance we want to have, this is the best time you're ever going to spend as a manager, is investing in that. So accountability requires expectation, it requires clear goals, and it requires clear feedback sessions, coaching sessions, whatever you want to call those, on a regular basis. Oh, I feel like we could go on and on, but we're slowly coming to the end (laughs) of our time. But before we wrap up, I want to know about one of your favorite managers, because as you know, this podcast is all about being a rock star manager with a thriving team. So tell us about one of the amazing managers that you've had in your life and what made him or her so great. 
Oh my gosh. So I've had three that all immediately come flooding into my brain, Diane, Trish, and Bob. I could talk about all three. Diane, I didn't report to directly, but she was the COO of our organization. She was a rock star because she always just wanted to know how you were. Didn't matter what was going on. She, I would, I would always, I remember she was famous for it, but I have a very vivid memory of her popping her head in my office. And I said, Oh, hi, Diane. How are you? And she said, I'm great. But the more important question is, Chris, how are you? And do you have the tools you need to get your job done? Because that's my job is to make sure you have what you need to be successful. And it's just, I don't know, there was just something amazing about her. And I think I would say the little bits that I took like from Bob, one of the things that was so great about him is he was always even. So even when we did really, really well, I would get mad at him because he wouldn't really celebrate with me. He'd be like, all right, that's cool. Good job. But then when we didn't do well, he'd be like, all right, that's cool. How are we going to fix it? So there was never the highs and the lows. I just always felt really safe with him that I knew that, you know, a failure wasn't going to be the end of the world. And I also knew (laughs) he knew that, you know, yeah, success is great, but it's fleeting, baby. Let's keep going. (laughs) We got more to do. Right. And then I think for Trish, she just was incredibly open and just like the advocate. I just knew she had my back no matter what. So, you know, I guess you asked for one, but those are the three and that those are the big rocks that I got from the three of them, just incredible leaders. And I was very, very fortunate to have all three of them in my professional career. Wow. Yeah. You are are so blessed and lucky to have three incredible managers to learn from and who supported you and who you know, made you feel so safe. I, you know, I asked this question to everyone who comes on my show and I've actually had a couple of people say, I've never had a great manager that I feel like I could talk about. And so the fact that you have three is just amazing. Mm. And I'm so glad that you talked about yeah. all three of them because they really do each deserve to be honored for the incredible yeah. way that they, they work. So thank you yeah. for that. So as we wrap up, where can people find you and keep up with you, Chris? Well, my website is leadershipcoachllc.com. And from there, you can find you know links to my podcast, which is How to Lead. And then We're also offering, I know uh, your listeners, if they want everything we talked about here about difficult employees, I have a little handbook. It's called the Difficult Employee Remedy. And if you go to leadershipcoachllc.com forward slash difficult employee remedy, you can get the guidebook. And then that will also give you the opportunity to take a free video course on how to have a difficult conversation. So those two tools, I think, would be a very good extension of the conversation today and support exactly the questions you were asking. Like, what's the structure? How do you have a conversation? All of that's in those tools. Oh, fantastic. So people who are listening while they're driving and doing many other things will be able to get all that written down and nicely organized for them. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, those links and others will be in the show notes so people will be able to find them easily. Thank you so much, Chris. As I kind of expected going into this, I definitely learned some things and I am excited to apply that into my own work and my management skills and into the coaching that I do. So thanks for a wonderful, insightful conversation. It's my pleasure to have been here. Thanks for having me. If you want even more from Chris, she is offering free access to her exclusive video training, How to Conduct Difficult Conversations. And this is for members of the Modern Manager community. You can get access by going to patreon.com slash modern manager. That's P A T 
com slash modern manager. You can also subscribe to my newsletter and you'll get my weekly email that has information on the new episode, free mini guides, and other info that you won't want to miss, like the link to Patreon where you can get Chris's free course. That's at mamieks.com and all of these links are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.